We're inundated now with so much content. The real battle isn't against your competitors. The real battle is against uh, probably Netflix. <laughs> so how do you get someone to consume something in their space? They've got a choice of time, right? Especially with just how the world is now. So it's the attention that we want um, there. And if you can educate, entertain, and uh, make them like have a positive emotion, like laugh or, or smile, then we think that's a bit of a winning formula. Welcome back to another episode of InCheck with Fintech. Today we are joined by Jimmy Funk, CCO at Zone, which helps online businesses reduce the costs, time and challenges faced due to fraud. Zone's solutions simplify fraud management so companies can focus on what matters, growing and scaling. Our guest, Jimmy Fung, would be considered a young veteran in the fraud detection space. The last three leading fraud and payment startups he has been involved in have been acquired by the likes of Visa, Ingenico and American Express. Welcome on the show today. With me is uh, Jimmy Fong, who's the CCO of uh, Sion. Uh, Jimmy, welcome. Good to have you. Yeah, massive, uh, massively happy to be here as well. Thanks for having us on the show. Exactly. Like I said in the uh, in, in the pre-show and, and for the listeners now, you, you are quite the podcast pro yourself, right? You have your own uh, podcast with Sion, which I'm sure we'll talk about it, uh, in a bit. But now you are the guest on uh, on our show and in check with Fintech. So uh, yeah, great to... Uh, to be uh, to have you here and, and be on the other side of the of the table for the people who don't know you would you mind giving a bit of an intro on uh, on yourself yeah sure sure thing um so I, as you rightly said i serve as the chief commercial officer of seon um so our startup is kind of twinned out of london and budapest in hungary uh, and what we do is um we do online fraud uh, prevention uh, for online business um and kind of we obsess a lot about making kind of cutting edge tech available to kind of all businesses from small, medium and large as fast as possible is kind of what uh, we obsess over. Uh, and in my role, I, I help um, lead uh, go to market and own revenue. Um, so kind of sales, uh, customer success uh, kind of flows into myself. Uh, it, it used to be marketing as well, uh, used to flow into myself, but um, we were very fortunate to add in a, a CMO, Matt Davies uh, from Splunk, uh, into our team very recently. So now now we can professionalize marketing uh, from that side. So, so very happy to. Um, and then previous to uh, kind of helping out as CCO, um, I've spent about 13 years in the payments and fraud space um, since university. So really, really uh, fortunate to be part of um, a number of kind of early stage um, kind of risk tech stacks uh, that were acquired by the likes of uh, Visa uh, and then American Express and then Ingenical Payments. Um, so uh, kind of, uh, I guess, uh, familiar with this space um, uh, for, for the last wee while and being fortunate to be part of it. Kind of familiar is an understatement, but uh, yeah, fair enough. Um, how did that come about? You say since university, you've been in fraud, right? Did you fell in love with the industry for some reason? Um, do you have some kind of relationship to fraud or did you just roll into it? Yeah, um, good question. So uh, I think like most things, it was kind of happenstance, a bit of fortune, a bit of luck. Um, so I was in a totally different space. But one of my ex-teammates, um, I'll give her a shout out actually, Dawn Beebe. Uh, she, she used to be known as Dawn Samuels, quite well known in the kind of payments and fraud world herself. Um, she, uh, she used to work uh, before that job um, for a UK PSP, a payment service provider. Um, and I, I think they rebranded. I don't even know if they're around anymore, but it was quite big back in the day. Um, they they were called Comidea, um, and uh, and uh, I guess if you weren't careful with your pronunciation, you'd almost call it a different name. 
uh, and uh, it had its uh, uh, kind of, it was known uh, partly for uh, working with a lot of UK retailers. But anyway, she came from the payment space. So I, I was fortunate that we met the uh, um, uh, kind of pre kind of payments and fraud kind of gig together. And she brought me into the kind of space. Um, I, I, kind of pre-university, I was always massively kind of techie and nerdy. Um, so, so it was a very natural fit to go into kind of the tech space um, from my end. So luck and fortune, uh, really. Fair enough. Great. And um, now you are indeed the CCO of Sionofi for the last two and a half years. Um, you've been through quite the growth, right? You had the Series A last year, then you had a huge Series B of, I think, 94 million this year. Um, what has that meant for you ever since you joined uh, up to now in terms of the growth of the company? What have you seen? Yeah, um, probably worth actually uh, taking one step back into kind of even how I joined Tommy and Benza, the two young co-founders in their mission. Um, so that was, like you said, um, two and a half years ago. Um, and bear in mind, I'd spent, you know, almost 13 years in this space. Um, so after 13 years, um, you know, really fortunate to be part of like those success stories. And actually, um, I was, I was quite frankly, um, a little bit disillusioned by where the kind of risk tech space was going, uh, especially fraud detection. It felt extremely congested, hard to differentiate, and everyone was doing the same stuff. <laughs> and, and that was a part of that go-to-market, standing up the same enterprise sales teams uh, that would be based internationally and would go top-down kind of knocking from a CX level to try and win deals. And, and it works. It, it does work. Um, it's not to say it doesn't work. Um, but after you know almost 13 years of that, I was extremely um, uh, kind of bored by it, quite frankly. <laughs> so I was in the midst of a 90-day rollout into what I thought was much more interesting, uh, cybersecurity. Um, so I was joining, uh, they just received their Series A, and they, uh, their Series A was led by M12, which is a Microsoft Venture Fund. And um, I was about to join that team, really excited by it. And the Thursday before the Monday, before starting that, um, I, as a favor to mutual pal, uh, kind of met Tamash in London uh, in a pub uh, where all the best meetings happen, of course. And it was it was particularly hilarious because my whole intention uh, as a favor uh, to this mutual pal was literally to sit down with Tommy and uh, explain to him, what the heck are you doing? At that stage, they were um, seed funded. Uh, so it was much earlier in the day. Uh, I was number 18 when I joined them. But yeah, it was literally to tell uh, Tommy, like, you know, why are you even going down this route? This is like... Uh, a rubbish space to get into. <laughs> so, so uh, obviously, um, obviously, things turned out very differently on that Thursday uh, after uh, after quite intense chats with uh, Tommy. And uh, I, I'm sat here, right, two and a bit years later. And um, so, just to summarise, indeed, I joined at eight. Uh, I was number eighteen. It was seed funded back then, and um, in March um, uh, twenty one. So, I, just a wee bit over a year ago, we raised our Series A. Um, led by Creandum. Uh, we chose them. We were stoked to work with them because in Europe, uh, as you know, they're, they're behind some of the biggest Euro tech stories like Klarna, like Spotify, and Seon was their next big bet. And then about seven weeks ago, we closed our Series B, uh, led by IVP. Um, and for us, we chose them because we're a very product-led company and those guys in their portfolio, um, you know, Tier 1 US VC, that's behind the best product companies in the world that we all know and love. Uh, you know, the likes of Slack, Dropbox, Netflix, um, Twitter, Uber, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And again, Seon was kind of their next kind of big bet uh, from that side. Um, so, yeah, so so I, I almost want to point out, again, happenstance and luck uh, for me even to be sat here talking about this, really. 
So let's let's go back to that pub then, where you had that uh, conversation with Tomas. You did say to him, "You're crazy. This is a space where everyone is doing the same thing, right? All the go-to markets you were quite sick of. You started to move into cyber. So what did Tomas say, or what made you go to Sion? How are they doing things differently than maybe from anything what you've seen before? Yeah, t- two things really. Um, one, uh, like kind of how we. Uh, lead with today, we, we we are very quick to show product, and so uh, Tommy was very quick to bust out his laptop, his MacBook, and uh, open up and instead of telling to show, which is a a pretty good principle in general, right? Show don't tell, um, mm-hmm. and so he so in an instance he was showing me what they were building in the last um, back then it was kind of a couple of years before uh, when they got up from standing scratch, and what was so cool is. It was very different in tech, uh, what they were building out. And um, like what Sion's best known for is this so called digital footprint. Um, so the idea is we take an email address or phone number and then we give you a ton more information about it. And the use case is really simple it's um, any online business that has to take an email address or phone number to set up an account, which is pretty much all businesses, right? It's, it's literally when you sign up for any, uh, anything, you create, you give your email and you create a password. At that stage, our tech is running. And so that was really cool because that was very different from you know, the very congested risk tech space that, that exists. So this was like, if you think about it technically, it was like the first API call that you can make. Um, and it's the very first thing that an online business can touch. Um, so that was really cool. That was genuinely different. And he was able to demo that to me um, and show me. And um, yeah, it's the same that we speak to our prospects. Of. We're quick to show them rather than tell them. So that was really cool. That was genuinely different. And then the second thing was, um, I think this is um, as much because he's a young, a young dude, right? As is his co-founder Benza, both uh, at that stage twenty, yeah, twenty-five, just turned twenty-five, so just finished their last year uni, couple of years at, in in terms of bootstrapping and then seed funding, uh, what they're building at at Seon. And when I met them, it's I think this classic thing of like young guys um, that are smart. They they literally couldn't understand the world in B two B SaaS where people would buy top down because they're pitched all the time, obviously as, as uh, co-founders and uh, you know, they invest in a lot of good tech stack for their company uh, as well. And so that really gelled. So, so both of us, I think what uh, afterwards, what I reflected on was um, ultimately what Salem represents is a massive change in the buying process uh, in B2B SaaS. And obviously stuff like COVID accelerated this because it meant that, you know, the old school methods of uh, taking out uh, a, a CX, economic buyer to go play golf or to go uh, take them out for dinner. You couldn't do that in COVID, right? So it forced everyone instead to focus in, cut out the, the BS and instead focus in on like actual value that product provides. And if you're if you can do that really crazily quickly and make it black and white in terms of the result, then that's that's really the first principle of most tech companies build good stuff that people want. And that's what Tommy, Tommy and myself, we just absolutely jammed over. Um, you know, not, not to say the four beers didn't help, uh, help as well, but, uh, you know, for, for both of us, I think, uh, I think there was a, almost like a philosophical match in, I think those young, young guys. And especially with my almost kind of like, um, this isn't working anymore kind of philosophy, uh, uh from, from uh, building up GTM teams. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's both. I want to zoom into both of those reasons because I think your philosophy is uh, on your second reason. In order to be good in the B2B space, you have to be good in the B2C space, right? It's by building good tech that people actually want. But 
you guys also go beyond that, right? You have the podcast that you build. I think you talked about the mockumentaries. Uh, I think you guys are very much focused on building the best customer journey there is. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, totally. Um, so, so I think, um, and, and we're lucky. We, we, I think we all see this as, um, is all of us uh, are clearly consumers of our own stuff as B two C people, right? Like you, you will be probably a Spotify customer or a Netflix customer and a million other services nowadays. And what, what's what's cool is our expectation level is so high now with how great those experiences are. Um, and so it's always been a bit of a um, personal bias. And then it's, of course, shared amongst co-founders at Sayon and then our whole startup that actually the very best B2B uh, SaaS companies um, already adopt this high quality and experiential level. And so um, we see this in adjacent spaces within MarTech. Um, you've got amazing companies like Drift, uh, like um, you know companies like Intercom, for instance. Uh, but in the kind of rev tech space, you've got loads of like these uh, kind of sales tools, which kind of subscribe to us. A good one is Gong, uh, Gong.io, the conversational intelligence tool. So there's actually what's what's funny is we're not exactly reinventing the wheel in fraud tech. We're taking design nods from these other amazing B2B SaaS companies. And what they're all trying to do, they're merging into stuff like trying to entertain almost. And the reason for that isn't just to stick out from the noise, but it's it's to try and educate, entertain, and, and there's good data behind it. People learn better when you can kind of, um, if you can uh, also entertain them as well. So there's like really good hard science. To it. It's just it's just a lot more progressive. So so that's kind of uh, it's not we're just doing comedic stuff for fun. It's there's actual like reason for it. And since we exist as um, as a startup to uh, educate and give the most cutting edge tools to our target buyer persona, who are fraud fighters, fraud managers then it's a very natural extension for us to spend uh, a really good amount of investment and time on doing that at top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, and of course, bottom of the funnel. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and guess what? It's a, a million times more fun for our team members as well uh, to do kind of content and collabs with Vice and um, to go to a, uh, I'll give away a, a sneak peek, uh, go away to a Romanian jail to interview an online fraudster who's happy to talk to us. Uh, so that's actually super in, in, like invigorating for our own team members who are massively creative that we're asking for them to do even wilder, more interesting ideas. But all of these are almost with the indeed the mindset of it's as if you're a consumer, right? Uh, and I would take it more basically, you know, we're inundated now with so much content. Um, the real battle isn't against your competitors. The real battle is against uh, probably Netflix. <laughs> so how do you get someone to how do you get someone to consume something in their space? Um, they've got a choice of time, right? Uh, especially with um, just how the world is now. So it's it's attention. It's the attention that we want um, there. And if you can educate, entertain, and um, and uh, make them like have a positive emotion, like laugh or, or smile at that content, then we think that's a bit of a winning formula. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a fight for the eyeballs, right? Or indeed the fight for the, uh, for the attention. And, um, I've listened to, uh, like I said, the pre-show to your, uh, podcast. It's called the cat and mouse podcast, right? I think. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's now in like, uh, we're finished up season two. We're ramping up for season three. 
uh, which is kind of crazy because um, we were joking about that before. Uh, I really feel it's mega amateur hour. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, 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 you know, like most startup-y hacky things, it was literally, hey, you know, we're doing this because of education of our uh, buyer persona. Um, but it's also super interesting uh, to go. And on season one, we did that, right? We literally spoke to active fraudsters uh, who we, of course, anonymized. Um, but gosh, for our target buyer persona, you know, those kind of hardworking fraud fighters, how useful is that? To get into a bit of this psychology and mindset, um, I can tell you it was ridiculously, uh, ridiculously like um, crazy to try and get those conversations going, and and took way too long and way too convoluted. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it was kind of kind of cool and and worth it from that side. But yeah, I, I would prefix it with uh, yeah, kind of mega amateur. Now we've got like really great people in our team that are you know that helped produce. For instance, uh, I'll give a, a shout out to Ollie. Um, you know, he literally produced the 11FS fintech podcast, right. one of the most that I've listened to. And so now he's working on our team, right? So now, now we have actually good people. But before uh, Absolute Amateur Hour, it's got a little bit better uh, because of practice. But uh, yeah, uh, kind of a, a, a classic startup hacky, hacky way to start things. Yeah, exactly. Well, you got to start from somewhere, right? And I think it's really cool, like you said, how often you get the opportunity to listen to a fraudster actually talk about what it is that they do. Normally, you hear about it in the news, you maybe get... Um, our thoughts are coming to you or trying to uh, hack your uh, your password or, or anything like that. So it's really cool to uh, see that conversation or to hear that conversation um, other than uh, just reading on the news. Um, let's talk about a bit about that digital footprint. I had the pleasure of um, uh, sharing uh, or hosting a panel with uh, one of your guys, Daniel Sebes at the ePay in, in London the other day. And he was also uh, very much talking about the uh, digital uh, digital footprint. So yeah, you talk about the phone number, you talk about the email, but it's more than that, right? It's the alternative data that you guys use, which is also, I think, the social media platforms and, and stuff like that and activity. Yeah, fully. Um, so the way conceptually to think of it is um, it's any public uh, publicly accessible info on that data point. Uh, and actually, the better analogy is... Um, Good, good fraud fighters, and this is literally what stemmed the idea to Tamash and Benza in the early days, actually, was um, one of the early customers, uh, actually in your neck of the woods, that we, we that they had the fortune to work with, uh, KLM, uh, so the Dutch airline. Um, they've got a really large manual fraud team. Um, so whenever transactions they're not sure about, it goes over to uh, the KLM team. Um, and, you, you know, out of those 30-odd kind of fraud fighters, what they used to do was they would control C, that data point, and then control V it into some some other platforms just to see what the heck turns up if they're not sure. So they'll chuck it into LinkedIn, they'll chuck it into uh, Facebook, Insta, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that was a bit of a seed for like Tamash and Benza in Crikey. If that is valuable because that's you know, what that team can get some extra insight over, but all we'll, we'll try and help them do is automate that. So... At that time, it was probably about five or 10 checks. Now, now today in 22, June 22, uh, we now uh, give back 50 plus results in like a second via an API. And so as time's, time's gone on, it's um, things like Amazon accounts, it's uh, Netflix accounts, it's, um, you know, kind of, uh, kind of GitHub accounts and a ton more, especially around the world. There's kind of regional specific ones, uh, which are, you know, for instance, the WhatsApp of Asia, uh, Line and Zalo, uh, we give back as well. But all of that leads to um, essentially this concept that you yourself, uh, as a legitimate person, 
we'll, we'll have like a bunch of these kind of digital footprint points um, around the internet. And that's, that's normal. That's fully legit. And it's also legit for like the online businesses who are accepting, you know, good customers. That's how most of the customers will look like, right? Um, is they'll have, you know, digital footprint evidence there. And that's what kind of this, this kind of digital footprint is that, you know, we've been building. Um, the, the other thing to mention, there's a move away from the old world. Uh, and what I mean by that, the old world of fraud tech was essentially building up massive proprietary databases. Uh, and the idea being, hey, come work with us, merchants or online business, and we'll give you access into that 10-year-old database to say we've seen something before or not. And that was certainly cool. It was, it was, it was good. But the reality is, is um, fraud managers, fraud fighters, um, kind of even four and a bit years ago when Salem was getting, getting designed up, were starting to stick their hands up and say, actually, in an increasingly real-time world, of logins, transactions, you know, add new payees, all this kind of stuff. The actual fact they had seen uh, Rohier at gmail.com was actually having less and less waiting in reality in a real-time world. didn't really matter. But the worst problem that came from that was actually if Rohier at gmail.com had been in the database too long, it got stale and it led to false positives, which was actually the bigger issue. Um, so... Um, Kind of the old world was that the new world. What's what you know? Seon's you know trying to build out is completely real time, and what that means is that when we see a data point like um, Rohir at gmail.com, we'll reach out to those fifty plus platforms right there, right then, and get you back completely fresh live data. Um, so that means zero stale data with our stuff. So that also means zero false positives, which is a bit of a game changer for fraud fighters, right? Because they can really rely on the data. Um, there is a massive downside uh, to this, <laughs> and the massive downside is it's an engineering nightmare on our side <laughs> because we don't control LinkedIn. We don't control none of these platforms. Obviously, these are all publicly accessible. So if Facebook changes something, then our um, you know DevOps team, our engineers have to work hard and scramble to get back a real time response to our millions of you know transactions which are happening. So that's the downside, but but that's also probably the value prop for online business. Um, they can consume a microservice like Seon, and it's it's uh, you know why they rely on our team to do that as well. So, so that's what we mean by the digital footprint. And the thesis is simple: we're now in 2022. This, uh, whether you love social or not, um, it's it's the way that most people are nowadays online uh, that are probably shopping or procuring product or service on that online business. Um, so that's the whole thesis: the, the world is getting more social, not less. And that's why I think our tech has really taken off in the last few years. And the pandemic obviously accelerated and spanned this up as well. Is it that this new data, digital footprint, real-time data, does it work uh, complementary to, let's say, the old data, the old databases? Or do you see companies completely shifting to this new real-life data? Yeah, good show. Um, so we designed it. Um, I think, again, back to the philosophy of um, you know, Tamash and Benzo, like they grew up in a world where... Uh, it's it's very unusual to rip and replace and put all your eggs in one basket. It's normal to have interoperability in tech, and um, everything I say on is kind of built like that. So it's designed to play nicely, if you like, with other stacks. So it can definitely complement. And we've got lots of customers that just add us because we're extra unique signals. And generally speaking, in in fighting fraud and uh, kind of data science, the more unique signals, the better, um, because your modeling can be more granular. 
Um, having said that, though, uh, obviously we've got customers which do uh, take the opportunity, especially in this macro climate, right, um, where CFOs are under pressure on like gross margin kind of um, considerations, and also uh, uh, we talk a lot about this. And again, it's back to that B two C concept. The old world ties you into multi year contracts, right? It it ties you into kind of like commits. Um, we don't believe in that. We're, we are literally like Netflix and as a B2B service, <laughs> we're a 30-day notice. And so and we that means that we take all the product risk and we think that's a much more modern way to consume kind of a microservice like ours. Um, so because of that, we we have in this macro, lots and lots of our customers take the opportunity to get out of some of those legacy agreements, update their stack to be much more modern, and then secondly, get way better um, kind of commercial conditions uh, to do so. So, so because of that, um, the last kind of, uh, I would say, six months, especially in this macro, has really kind of led to uh, lots of uh, customers literally improving GM with moving to a say on tech stack uh, as well. So, so we kind of get both, but we designed it from the beginning to play nicely because it's kind of crazy to think that, hey, you, you know, you come in and you can literally replace everything from day one. It shouldn't be the case. It should be the case that um, these, you know, customers start using you. They experience lots of value. Uh, like I said, we're obsessed over time to value uh, at Seon. Um, that, that was the other reason for the founding story of Seon was um, amazing risk tech, but stuff that will take you weeks, if not months, to get up and running. Uh, we, what we what Seon represents is stacks that can get up and running in 30 minutes or less. And that's a bit of a paradigm shift as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, like I said, it's modular, right? It just can be, it's not either or, it's end. It can work next to other technologies or, or databases or whatever it is that companies are using, especially for the likes of KLM, who obviously have been doing this for a long time. They've been used databases for a long time to have a certain legacy in place. Uh, maybe something they want to stick to, maybe something they can't move away from technology wise. Um, I'm no expert in that field, but I can, I, can, I can only imagine. So you guys have clearly developed, like you said, the world is, go- the world is going more and more social. Normally that means, and um, the pandemic has certainly helped with that. Normally, when that kind of development um, is going on on the uh, fraud fighter side, that also means that on the fraudster side, there's developments going on, right? What are some of the kind of developments you've seen over those last, let's say, one to five years? I mean, you've been in this game for uh, 17 years now, I think. You started in 2005. Um, so what have you seen over those last one to five years uh, in terms of the fraudsters uh, developing? Yeah, it's a it's a good one. Um, uh, worryingly, I, so you, the key point here is tech moves on for both sides. Uh, of course, that's just how tech works, progresses, and uh, just like um, we talk a lot about consumerization of like B two B, I would say the consumerization for uh, cr- criminals <laughs> is definitely a trend we see. Um, so, so we talk a lot about um, what we observe now is um, crime as a service. Uh, so the, the kind of criminal equivalent of SaaS is, uh, <laughs> is definitely um, a, a kind of there. Um, so it used to be the case uh, it used to be the case that you'd have to have a bit of technical nous um, to kind of work your way around systems to be able to kind of um, kind of uh, uh, kind of get around the good guys. It, it just isn't the case now. Um, it, it's button pressing. Is people that are willing to take more risk, uh, quite frankly, and that really lowers the bar for um, people to kind of enter into uh, kind of the crime as a service uh, space. So it's kind of two big trends. One is technologies democratize things from a criminal point of view. Uh, and now what you have is you have extremely uh, well-run uh, technical um, resources, which 
operate as SaaS for criminals. <laughs> and it used to be the case, you used to have to go a little bit into the dark web to um, access them. Uh, no, no, you don't. It's just clear web. You can just go on your, your, your internet browser and start looking at stuff. Um, a bit of a sidebar. I was reading The Guardian this morning, uh, the online newspaper, and apparently there was a, there was a Channel 4 show on um, how, how to hire a hitman. And it was a two-episode thing. And it was literally a Channel 4 uh, investigative journalist uh, over two episodes to see how easy it was to hire a hitman online. And the takeaway message on the online newspaper said, um, we, we ought to turn the internet off because uh, humanity has descended into this uh, crap status now <laughs> where it's so easy. And, you know, and five years ago, that used to be the thing, right? The dark web, you'd be able to find through some really convoluted circles how to hire a hitman. Uh, but, but nowadays, uh, as per that kind of uh, TV broadcast, it's like made for anybody. Like that's pretty that's scary and depressing and also um, yeah, kind of ridiculous. So, so that's one trend one is crime as a service is now, um, is now uh, a button push away for, for fraudsters. Um, what we saw in the pandemic as well, and it's really sad, is um, fraud, like targets of fraudsters. Um, so whether it's money mules, et cetera, um, are, are 100% getting targeted via, um, say, semi-legitimate kind of uh, channels. So in the pandemic, when a lot of people really sadly, of course, lost their income, um, fairly desperate times, right? They couldn't go out and earn money, but yet, um, and they had lost their income source. So, so where do they turn to? I, I guess they turn to you know googling stuff online, and a lot of these start off as like semi legit, like make money online kind of services, which um, what we saw uh, quite clearly trended into, sadly, into very much illegal activities after a little while. Um, and it reminds it reminds of uh, we we had um, we did a, a podcast with um, really cool guy Obi um, from Vice um, who did a. A really good documentary on crime uh, in South London, and they were talking about TikTok targeting um, or TikTok fraudsters targeting like young teens out of South London that were looking on TikTok for like how to make some extra money, um, and of course they were being attracted to by seeing short TikTok videos of stacks of, of money and um, and easy money, right? So called in quotations easy money. Now what they ended up doing was being unwit. At the beginning, un unwittingly, but then you know quickly, uh, willingly, money moves for um, you know for kind of criminals. So, so that's the sad trend of the pandemic. It's it's taken an extremely um, sad, economically depressing kind of kind of macro situation. And fraudsters, they they they're the first ones to understand opportunity and to uh, leverage that and to attack uh, kind of uh, what are kind of sadly normal people uh, into kind of that criminal. Uh, so, so that's the, the trend we see is a more of an amateur growth of crime um, as well, online crime. It's crazy. The, the internet is certainly a dangerous place. You just confirmed that. Uh, we have a crisis upon us. Yeah. Uh, opinions differ uh, on that, of course, but we'll probably see, uh, and uh, as per your kind of trend that you're seeing, you saw in a pandemic, probably see a new uptick in uh, the number of fraudsters. So, how do you, as a fraud fighter, stay ahead of those developments of, of, of the things happening, of the crime as a service, of, of people having easier access, of the more amateur hour or amateur era uh, going, into, uh, going into fraud? How do you stay ahead of that? Is that even possible? 
it's um it's probably why we called our podcast the cat and mouse show right um but by definition um it's kind of a yeah one party does one thing and the other party does another thing um it's certainly aspirational to um try and stay ahead of things but i, I think i'm the first realist uh, uh to certainly share that um Remember what you're dealing with as an adversary. Fraud and fraud and fraudulent behavior is really a celebration of um, human ingenuity. <laughs> so it's literally celebrating the creativity of us as uh, us as humans to um, think around, over, under, and and uh, evade certain things. And I think if you start off with that kind of stance, um, then you 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 understand that almost. Um, you're you're trying to uh, keep up with something that's uh, so hard to keep up with in the first place. Um, so instead, what we, we're a big proponent of is, and it was actually back into the origin story of sale, and it's not that great fraud tech doesn't exist, but we think that there's a bigger problem with making it available to every online business as quick as possible. And it, it was literally the founding story of sale for uh, Tommy and Benza. Um, you know, they, they originated uh, not as a, uh, kind of a state-of-the-art fraud prevention platform. But they originated actually in their last year of university as a crypto exchange um, in Central Europe. <laughs> and they're one of the first to open up fiat exchange. Um, so uh, use your cards to buy crypto. And um, I think anyone that knows that space understands once you do that, it, you are highly desirable for fraudsters. So they were attacked firsthand by a ton of uh, ton of fraudulent activity. Um, and they, they surveyed the market quickly to bring in amazing tech to help stop that, but they just couldn't get it up and running quick enough. Um, you know, it would take weeks, if not months, to do things like integration, to agree pricing, to agree a contract. And all of them, you know, they couldn't get proof of value really until they were up and running six months. They would have been dead as an online business. So literally the origin point of Seon was them having to hack like tools that were immediately effective to tell good from bad, you know, uh, within the first uh, interaction in a second or so. Um, so that, with that in mind, um, like it's a big commentary from us around, uh, we, of course we have like extremely unique with that digital footprint we talked about, but really if all we obsess about is making sure our stack is discoverable, uh, time to value is within minutes, if not hours, integrations within minutes, then we'll be helping uh, safeguard the, the growth of online commerce via that mission. So so it's a roundabout way of saying, um, hey, uh, I think, first of all, acknowledge the fact that fraudsters, uh, by definition, are humans like me and you. And uh, if they'll be spending a lot more time thinking about under, over, uh, getting around your systems. But instead, um, we think the bigger societal win is making sure there's enough cutting edge tech available to someone at almost like a one click integration. Um, uh, and that's kind of what we obsess over as a startup. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. That's great. That's great. Uh, need how you approach that and how you look at that. Like you said, is maybe, um, 
yeah, getting ahead of the frosters is a utopia, uh, but there's certainly ways around it or approach it in a in a creative way. And I think your your view on frosters is indeed being human beings uh, or being subjects and and having their own psychological psychological reasons. Sorry for uh, for being a fraudster. Uh, I think is is a good to, is a good place to start. Um, great, Jimmy. Well, great to to have you on the show. Uh, thanks for uh, sharing your views on the. Well, I think it's good to learn a bit more about Cedon, uh, but also your philosophy. Uh, um, and uh, hear about the kind of latest developments that you've seen on the uh, on the Froster side of things. Um, is there anything exciting that you can share? What's going to be next for Sion? Is there something exciting that you're working on? You obviously just got a big Series B, like we said. Uh, what is next for you guys? I know you're expanding heavily in the US. Uh, Europe is, is continuing to grow. I think APAC, you also hired uh, some people there. Um, what's the next thing that you have on your agenda? Yeah, um, so we're a product-led company, um, so you'll be glad to know most of that uh, kind of uh, record uh, B amount for us is being invested fully in more awesome engineering brains. Um, so, uh, you know, if you're in any of those sites we mentioned, we're out of uh, Budapest, London, Austin, Texas, and then over in um, uh, Jakarta in Asia, and we're always adding more brains and and particularly around engineering talent. So we've got like lots and lots of uh, roadmap ideas, which are being demanded by our customers. Uh, we definitely need more amazing engineers to kind of help get those product release cycles out even faster. Um, but in terms of um, kind of big directional uh, that we'll be helping more into is certainly around uh, a lot of our customers um, love what we do for helping them on the B2C uh, use case. So i.e. their new consumers signing up for their service, we help them tell good from bad automatically at first touch. And then obviously we help them with um, kind of fraud detection ongoing in that life cycle. Um, but uh, we've been asked by so many of, of our customers, can you do the same real-time paradigm, but actually for merchant onboarding? So almost like a know your business uh, kind of uh, side of things. So watch this space um, in, the, in, the, in the next couple of quarters. Our team is furiously working hard to um, kind of build um, in, in, into that space. Um, and, and we'll be very excited in the next couple of quarters to kind of... Uh, yeah, yeah, and then it's out to the world. Not only can we help you on that B2C use case, but we'll be helping out on that B2B side. And we think that the kind of ecosystem of risk tech uh, certainly is crying out for uh, kind of more help in terms of, you know, can you really know that business that you've just boarded, that you've just taken on as a client maybe, um, is who they say they are. Um, so that, that's certainly a big product direction for us, which we'll, we'll be excited to share uh, uh, shortly. That's exciting. That whole B two B space is indeed uh, is a huge opportunity uh, for you guys. So uh, and it's great that you are then kind of customer led, right? That they say, okay, can you help us here, and you start building around that uh, because there's already a proof of the concept um, that it's going to work. So uh, so that's great. Um, cool, Jimmy. Well, thanks again. It's been uh, fantastic to have you uh, on the show, um, and uh, good luck with uh, everything uh, over at Sion, um, and hope to um, hear from you soon again. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, uh, Rohir. And um, yeah, look, look forward to uh, kind of next updates. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of In Check with Fintech. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and leave us a comment below. We'll be having more industry leaders soon, so don't forget to subscribe as well in order to keep updated with the latest episodes of our podcast. Thanks for listening. And we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from our partner Free a Girl, who are dedicated to founding child prostitution and impunity all over the world. 
Hi, I'm Evelyn, CEO and founder of Free Girl. Every day, two million children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars, or online, forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away together with their youth, family, and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom, and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freegirl.com for more information. Thank you.